counsellor or a psychotherapist wanting to attract more clients more simply, then you, lovely person, are in the right place. Because I'm here to help you navigate marketing and remove any confusion and overwhelm that you might feel. Oh, and ditch that critical, nagging inner voice too. So each week I'll offer you inspiration, motivation and practical advice so you can get your marketing done and then get on with your life. I'm Jane Travis and welcome to the Grow Your Private Practice show. It's great to have you here. Hello, hello, hello and welcome back. And if it's your first time here, it's great to have you on board. And you've picked a brilliant time to come and join us because I've got a fantastic guest here today and I'm sure that you're going to enjoy this. Now, I absolutely love it when guests come and join me. And today is no exception at all, as I've got the wonderful Elsie Owen here with me. Now, Elsie is relatively new to private practice and she's had her private practice since qualifying in 2019. And in 2020, she's had a consistently full caseload. I mean, how cool is that? And at that point, she started learning all about Instagram marketing and kind of really throwing herself into it, really, and exploring, you know, additional ways of helping to support people. You can check her out, actually, if you pop over to Instagram, have a look for at the People Pleasing Therapist or just search Elsie Owen. Now, she's since chosen to niche down and as a result, she started diversifying her income through offering different things. So she's not just offering one-to-one therapy now. She regularly writes a fortnightly newsletter. She teaches online educational sessions and she runs a group program called The Boundaries Course. I mean, how cool is that? One of the things I love about being a counsellor, being an ex-counsellor, but the fact that counsellors have so many different skills. Yes, you can use them to work one-to-one with somebody, but you can also use those skills in lots and lots of different ways. So I just love that she's diversified and found different ways to use all of those skills. It's fantastic. So today, Elsie's going to be sharing with us her experiences, and we're going to be looking at several different things. So we're going to look at the impact having Anisha's had on her practice. So I'm going to be asking her what made you choose to niche? How did you decide on your niche? How has having a niche affected your practice? You know, what are the positives and are there any negatives to watch out for? I've asked her about her experience in in diversifying and also what her plans are for the future. So yeah, settle in and enjoy this. I think you're going to enjoy it. Elsie, I'm so happy that you're here to talk to us. I've been lo- I've been looking forward to speaking to you for ages because what you do is something that I used to do something similar. So I used to have a sort of business on the side of my counselling that was all about self-care for people pleasers. So when I see what you're doing, I think to myself, I just love it because it's like all really interesting to me. So, so yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That was really, I love that. I love the synergy. And it's, yeah, I felt really excited when you, you got in touch actually, because we were, we were in touch right at the beginning of my private practice journey, um, haven't had much contact. So it's, yeah, it's really nice to come back. Thank you for yeah asking and for Thank giving me this coming. Thank you for coming. I think that we're going to have a bit of a chat today about uh, niching because I'm big on niching. I think it's a really um, important thing to do. And I think so many people get really worried about it and think it has to be like really restricting Mm. But what I love about 
your niche, which is, you know, working with people who are uh, people pleasers, is it's enormous. There's so many people that would identify as being a people pleaser. So, I mean, what made you choose this as your niche? Good question. I think you're right that I think I initially... I initially thought that it would be restrictive to say that I was going to work with just one group of people. And I know my experience in my training was that I was encouraged to work with everybody and I ought to be a, you know, one size fits all therapist. So I, yeah, I definitely resonate with that thing of feeling like initially niching is going to be something that puts people off as opposed to brings people in. But it came about because I, it was through going onto Instagram actually and starting to have a presence there that I realized from a marketing perspective in that way. And I guess I was thinking about it less about therapy clients and more about wanting to diversify my income and my business. I realized that it was really important that I came across as doing something specific and speaking to a specific group of people. Because I think, particularly on there, I think Instagram probably is quite a good reflection for how diverse and how broad this whole world is, you know, like the marketing world. And I I posted some various different things that were occurring to me. And I, I realized that boundaries posts and things around that were starting to gain a bit more traction with people than other things. So I started to think, oh, okay, maybe there's something here. And I then looked back at my own journey and I looked back at the work that I'd been doing with clients and the stuff that I'd really enjoyed and realized that that was a pattern. Mm-hmm. So there was something there that was recurring and you you identified that it's a very broad thing, a broad area to, to work within. And it's true that I, d- I don't think if I hadn't have gone back and done it very specifically to kind of work out what the themes were, I don't think I'd have noticed that, that mm-hmm. people pleasing was common. But I basically just looked at all the people I'd been working with that I'd really enjoyed working with and tried to work out like what were the common themes and what did I actually enjoy about it? So I guess it's a combination of those two things, really seeing what was resonating and also realizing that there was a correlation in my work already that I hadn't spotted that I didn't realize was there. I really love that. I love the way that you sort of went back and had a look at what people were really resonating with. So mm. rather than just thinking, oh, I think I'll try this or I think I'll try that, you actually looked at, oh, that's interesting. You know, people are enjoying that. People are reacting to that. So you actually took, kind of took a cue from what was already working. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing I always want to add in when I'm talking about like my sort of quote unquote success on Instagram is that I was very methodical about what I was doing and I got quite a lot of help, not necessarily directly, but I did a lot of workshops and courses to understand how to do Instagram. And one of the things that was encouraged in the trainings I went into was to pay attention to what was working for people. So how were people interacting with posts comparatively? And I could see that at the time people were saving those posts about boundaries quite a lot comparatively to others. And I didn't have a huge following, I had like three or 400 followers at that point. But even just then I might see that one of them had 10 saves and others had one, <laughs> you know, it was minute numbers. It's not like anything. I didn't sort of, it wasn't like sort of flashing lights. This is what you should do. This is what we really love. It was just trying to read into the subtleties. So yeah, I can't claim to have come up with that myself. It was much more a tip that I got from sort of working with some people around marketing. 
to yeah make some sense of, of how best to work out what to post or what people wanted from me and I think it's that it's starting to work out like where can I what space can I occupy that's going to resonate with the people that are already here yeah 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 I mean, I, I love your, I love your Instagram account. I love it. It's got a very modern feel. It's, it's very fresh. It's not at all. Like I always talk about things sometimes being a bit preachy or teachy, you know, it's not saying don't do this or you've got to do this. I love the way that, you know, you're on there doing reels. So you're trying all these different things. Talk to me about that. Actually talk to me about reels. How have you found them? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So you're loving it. <laughs> Real. Initially, I felt this huge pressure. Every time Instagram does something new, it's like, oh, I just got adjusted to how it was before. And now I've got to change up my game or like adapt. And I think because w- when they were a new feature, I think that the way that they were being driven was to go viral. Um, and there was all this emphasis on, on creating videos that became like really popular. And I really didn't respond very well to that pressure. And I would, I could be quite critical actually of myself. And then at some point something shifted for me and I sort of thought, well, is there a way for me to translate what I'm already doing into that format? So I'm never going to be a dancey pointy therapist on Instagram. It's just not who I am and it doesn't feel comfortable for me. Is there a way for me to do what I'm already doing? Just try and make it into sort of a bit of a video format. So that's kind of how I approach it now. And I also try to see it not as something that needs to reach thousands and thousands of people in order for it to be effective or for it to be a success, but for it to just be something that the people already in my community get to see. Mm. Because I think initially reels were being marketed as this way to grow your audience and there were quite a few accounts, I think, that sort of suddenly just became huge very quickly because they sort of hit a sweet spot with the reels thing. And I was sort of there like, why, I, why are my reels not reaching thousands of people? I'm failing. This is, you know, I was sort of comparing myself. And yeah, so I think it's sort of about trying it and seeing if there's a way to do it on my own terms. Mm. And I think I think that's the important thing, isn't it? I think that's, you know, when I work with people with things to do so, with social media, mm. I think probably the most important thing is to learn to do it on your own terms. It's exactly that. So it's about, you know, posting however however many times feels right for you, posting the sorts of things that feel right for you, enjoying yourself on social mm. media really as much as anything. I think many people are a bit scared of social media and that, like you were saying, putting yourself under pressure somehow to be perfect. I think there can be a lot of that. So if we can take a bit of that pressure off and allow ourselves to just have fun and be creative. Yeah. Because I think, I think it's quite a creative way of, it allows ourselves to be a bit creative, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's what I get from it. I think, I mean, it's, it's become something that's really uh, valuable within my business, but it's also an outlet and it's a, it's a way to diversify what I'm doing on a daily basis. Like I've, I think I've always really known that I'd be in my working life become I don't know, I've always been attracted to the idea of like a portfolio career, you know, where you do one or two things kind of for portions of your working week. And it's definitely brought in a bit of play, actually, in a funny kind of way. I really enjoy working out the aesthetic of it. I quite enjoy finding colours and fonts and things that represent how I want it to look. And it's changed quite a few times. I think it probably will continue to do that. So yeah, it uses very different skills to what being in the room with a client uses. And some of the same, because actually it's just another way of connecting with people. That's what we're wanting to do is to make connection. 
Absolutely. I mean, something that I'm always talking about is using social media, in fact, using your marketing for helping instead of selling, because I think people can get mm-hmm. very caught. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this, but it's easy to get caught up with, oh, I've got to get clients, I've got to get clients, how am I going to get clients? Whereas if you can forget about that, let that go, mm-hmm. not totally forget about it, obviously, but if you can concentrate on how can I help my audience, how can I help the people that are watching this or reading this, then they're going to connect with you and, you know, you'll resonate with them and that you'll you'll show up and you'll be noticed yeah. without having to do any sort of icky, manipulative, salesy tactics. And that's what makes it fun then, because it's like, how can I get this point over in a way that's going to just be like really okay? Yeah, it's that, isn't it? And I, th- I think that you've touched on something that is a real conundrum for us as therapists so within our industry is that we are, it, it does feel icky to be putting ourselves out there and like, kind of feel a bit coercive or something like if you're there someone's saying look at me come and book with me it might feel a bit I remember I remember at the beginning I laugh now but I I felt really worried about being on social media I was like this might be really unethical I I trained the way I was trained was pretty I would say that the ethics side of things were taught to me in quite a fear-based way like I was I was very scared of anybody knowing anything about me other than the fact that I'm a therapist I'm here to help them so there's been, I guess it's like navigating, finding a way with it that feels authentic. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's about that. And I, I think that it was easier for me because I chose to come onto Instagram. And I keep mentioning Instagram because I don't do other social media stuff. That's just where I focus my energy. When I already had a full practice, I think I might have felt differently if I was trying to fill a practice. And I think that, it, like you say, if there's a way to separate what you're doing there from how many clients you're getting or how that's translating into clients. I think that's where the freedom to create a way of doing it that works for you can come in. It's a slow burn. Uh, oh, Instagram I've... is not. <laughs> Excuse me. Absolutely. I mean, I, I always say it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, yeah. it is. And with any marketing, I think it's the same thing. It's, it's if you're in business, you're there for the long term and yeah. you have to do the marketing throughout that. So buckle in <laughs> and start doing things you enjoy doing and make it see if you can make it a pleasurable part of the job that you do like you say find the creativity in it find the fun in it and I think that's what potential clients will resonate with like if if I'm showing up in an authentic way that is demonstrating parts of who I am that you know I'm not even necessarily consciously communicating it, that you know p- people watching my videos people reading my posts will just get a sense of me regardless of how I do that, I think that will connect with anybody who's thinking about starting therapy or thinking about wanting to get in touch with someone more than it will if we're sort of there being a bit robotic, doing what we think we should be doing on Instagram because we've been told to do it or because it's a box that we think we should be ticking. My experience is that it works when we found our alignment with it when we've, we've found a nice pace and, and I come in and out of that. Like I go through phases where I'm like, I really don't like this. What am I doing here? Why am I doing this? And I've learned to sort of let those those periods just be. And it, it usually comes back. That's really interesting. I'm really glad that you said that because I think it can be very easy for people to, to watch people that are successful on Instagram, like you, because you're successful on Instagram, and think, oh, crikey, you know, they, they must be on there like all the time and mm-hmm. they must just really love it. But the truth is we all go through times when we just don't want to do it and yeah. it's it's like walking through treacle, isn't it? Yeah. So what would your, be your advice for anybody that's in that place? 
I think to take the pressure off. I I remember at the beginning I felt this compulsion or this necessity really to be like there every single day. And there's all this advice out there that's like, if people comment in your post, make sure you reply straight away or the algorithm will punish you if you don't do this or that. And I mean, I think in the last probably couple of months, I've not really been posting that much there at all. I've I've been I've been present, but not half as often as I have before because it just hasn't felt right. And I, I think it's about making sense of of your relationship with it. It's another relationship, isn't it? And it, that that ebbs and flows and comes and goes, and it's closer at times and it's sort of more distance at times. But one of the things that's helped me a lot is to reframe what I think consistency means. And to allow that to just be the consistency can just be my pace that I keep up, whatever that pace is. And within that consistency, you might have weeks where I'm not there and people just start to know that kind of like, oh, sometimes Elsa's here and sometimes she's not. Like that might be fine or there are ways to show up. I'm I'm quite consistent on my stories. For example, I'll often do check-ins with people, uh, with my community, and I show up there in quite a familiar way. My posts have a familiarity about them. There's sort of two or three different kinds of styles or structures that I tend to follow. So when I am there, people know it's me. And I think that's what's important is that we have a kind of identity there that people can re- remember. They they know us when they see, recognise the word I was looking for there. But if I post once a week or once a month, yeah, less people are going to see it. But that doesn't mean that everyone's gone away because I wasn't there. And I'm, <laughs> like they're, they're, they're happy. To, they're kind of like, oh, hi, you're back kind of thing. I'll often get, if I've had a bit of a break that I haven't announced people might just sort of be like, oh, I was wondering where you'd got to, how are you doing? You know, and it's like, it's actually quite nice to just sort of come back and reconnect. Yeah. And be noticed. Be yeah. Noticed, be missed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I think it's a really important subject because I think we can put ourselves, I mean, I've done a couple of podcasts about con- um, consistency because on the one hand, consistency is really important, but on the other hand, we have to explore what consistency actually is. Because, you know, it can be great to post like twice a week for every, every single week, but it does, that doesn't necessarily have to be consistency, does it? It can be, no. like you say, it can be whatever fits, you know, it can be, we can allow ourselves to have a little bit of leeway. Isn't that the beauty of being self-employed that we can, you know, go with the flow in, in a lot of respects? Yeah, and I often try and think about like, I am my own boss. How do I want my staff to, to feel? <laughs> You know, how do I want my employees to feel if I've got, you know, more than one person working for me in some hypothetical situation is just me now. But, you know, it's like, what, how do I want to relate to my work? And we go self-employed, most of us, because we want freedom, we want the flexibility. And I think it's really easy to end up creating all this restrictive structure for ourselves that nobody's holding us to but us that may not necessarily be rooted in how we actually want things to be. Oh, absolutely. You know, that externalized sort of sense of like, this is how I should be doing things versus how I actually want to be. And I I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think that when we become self-employed, if we've not been self-employed before, we're not used to not having someone tell us what to do. Mm. And we're looking for someone somewhere to tell us how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And I think you get to a point where you think actually, it's okay for me to (laughs) to decide what I'm going to do. It's like a revelation, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of like really exciting and actually quite terrifying. Do you find that terrifying? I think it was at one point. I think yeah. initially at the beginning, I was like, oh, how, how do I do this? You know, how do we, how do I navigate what it means to have a structure in my day? Like 
someone would say to me, you know, right at the beginning, how many people do you want to see a week? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I've got no idea. And I think that that if I reflect on like what my sort of strategy has been throughout, and this hasn't been a conscious thing, it's probably become more conscious more recently. It's that I've I've tried to allow myself flexibility and space to work out what works. The amount of times I've restructured my practice and what days I see people and when is I can't count how many times. And each time I do, I tell myself that this is how it's always going to be. And then uh, six months later, I'm ready for it to be the opposite again. And that's the beauty. Like you said, there's, we have that flexibility within a self-employed structure. And, and yeah, I think it, yeah, maybe, maybe the creating a structure is, is some kind of security for us, I think. And it probably does replace that boss or that manager who used to be telling us what to do. Yeah. So maybe replacing that like formal structure with a set of boundaries that we want to stick with. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up with values, like working out something I've done recently is sort of agree to my with myself that I I won't do work I'm not talking about therapy right now I'm talking about other things that I don't actually enjoy yeah like I don't really like teaching live <laughs> I've realized it's not yeah. something I love so I'm offering recorded workshops now that I can record in my own time instead of having the pressure of people being there live and actually as it turns out people seem to prefer being able to watch something on their own terms it, you know it's that there is the freedom there to, to listen to ourselves but that is always in, I guess, in a bit of a sometimes conflict with what we feel like we should be doing. And that's the word. It's should, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I should be doing this. And I think, you know, you know, you're the people pleasing therapist. Do you think that us as counsellors can get caught up in a, in a people pleasing situation like people pleasing clients? And I've known clients like bend over, sorry, counsellors bend over backwards to accommodate clients. Yeah. How I'm just... I'm wondering how much you think maybe our own people-pleasing tendencies might sort of, this is a big question, I know. <laughs> just a big question. If you could just solve this, that'd be great. We've got 10 minutes. <laughs> I think I think you've hit, I think you've touched on something. I think it's absolutely there. Um, I, something people often say to me, like, I, I seem to have a very boundaried practice and I do. And this is where, when we were talking about the niching thing, this is what I also realized is that some of the, my own work that I've done in therapy and in other kind of self-development spaces has been around boundaries and about working out like, well, how do I want things to be and how can I communicate that to others? So from the beginning, without realizing it, I did set up quite firm boundaries within my practice. And when I speak to other, other therapists, not everybody, but a lot of them, they'll be like, oh, what? So you, you know, you don't, for example, like, I don't think I've ever, I maybe once or twice wavered a fee for a cancellation ever. And they're like, what? So even if the person's there, I'm like, no, that's the policy. The policy is that they pay or whatever. That's, that's just a hypothetical something. So, but I think, yes, I think we do bend and shape ourselves in order to want to please, because also we have to remember that in the, what well, I have to remember that in the exchange between client and therapist, we're providing a service, aren't we? And we always we want to please the person that's paying us. And I think the money side of things comes into that too. Wanting to give people an experience that we think they want and might end up abandoning our values in order to try to meet, meet what we think they might want. But you're right, it is a big question. But I, I think like everything, whatever's going on for us personally or can go on for us personally, absolutely may end up coming into, into that field well, I agree. Of course, of course it does. It's bound to. And I think that's why we have to keep um, really doing some self-reflection on this yeah. and really 
really examine what's happening because if we don't, we could end up, you know, like I say, bending over backwards, always letting people off the fee if they don't, you know, if they cancel late or anything like mm. that. And then business becomes something that is untenable. It then becomes something that's not enjoyable, that is constantly about other people. I mean, I've heard recently, you know, on the jungle drums or in the, in the counselling world, that because of the cost of living crisis that we seem to be going through, some people are looking at reducing their fees. And I think to myself, well, that's kind of, I don't, I don't, don't really want to go into that, but that's kind of a people-pleasing behaviour isn't it? It's looking at the needs of other people when our cost of living is going up exactly the same, isn't it? You know, yeah. I don't think, you know, I'm certainly not rich, you know, I'm still having to be careful where I spend my money. If I then say, right, everybody can have everything cheap or free, then I'm the one that's just going to be, you know, struggling. It's kind of self-sabotage, isn't it? Well, it is that thing of, uh, I think people sometimes say to me, you know, what is people pleasing? Like, how do we define it? Like, how does it differentiate from care or how does it differentiate from, you know, rescuing? Like some people talk about that too. It's all kind of within the same pot, if you like. But I think it's, it's when, for me anyway, it's when I'm doing something for someone else or taking responsibility for something that puts, that is detrimental to me. So if I'm in a position financially where actually if I look at my numbers, I see the cost of living crisis, I see how it's going to change for me. And then I realise that actually I could afford, like it's literally viable for me to reduce my fee for certain people. That's kind of a different thing, isn't it? To then, to going, oh, look, the the external climate is like this. It doesn't matter what I'm earning. I just yeah. want to be there for people and support them. So, yeah. you know... It, <laughs> it's, a so it's sort of rescue, isn't it, I guess? A little bit. Yeah, so it's so kind of, it's so making... It's making a considered choice rather than feeling compelled or as though that's just the way that it has to be. Yeah. yeah, I mean, are you, do you like TA? Are you a TA person? I was, my core training was in TA. Yeah. I do love TA and that whole rescuer thing is yeah. often, you know, I, I can often see that. I saw that in myself and still see it in myself a lot. Yeah. And I have to kind of really stop myself some, sometimes. Yeah, it's exploring what the gain is for us, isn't it? Of going and jumping in to save someone else. Like, what? why am I doing what? You know, it, it on the surface looks like I'm being really great to them. But what's not noticed is what I'm getting from that. But also any kind of conversation with the other person about whether that's what they want from me, which applies, I guess, more personally than it does with thinking about things like fees. But as therapists, I can remember in my training, someone saying, you know, this is probably a group of rescuers here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think that's, you know, there are quite a lot of rescuers there. I think there's quite a lot of rescuers, possibly quite a lot of victims, maybe, hopefully, quite a lot fewer persecutors. Fingers crossed. (laughs) I think we all, we all sit in each role at different times. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So if we think back, I mean, we're talking about niche really, aren't we? Mm. How do you think having, you know, you, you decided on you or the, the niche almost found you, but you came, this this niche sort of happened and you kind of went with it. I mean, how has having a niche sort of affected your practice? I mean, what, what would you say are the kind of the positives? And is there anything that you'd recommend that people maybe, again, this is a big question, three questions at once. Is there anything that you think people might watch out for? Where shall I begin? Yeah, sorry, shall I break that down? <laughs> Let's break that down. How do you think having a niche has maybe affected your practice? Overall, I think it's been a really positive decision. It's really interesting because my the niching thing for me definitely kind of sat 
outside of my therapy practice in some way, because my goal of sort of going on social media and starting that side of things was to diversify what I was doing. So it's had a ripple effect on my practice, but has been going on alongside me actually reducing how many people I work with and wanting to kind of change my balance of, of work. What it has done is it's mean it means that when I get an inquiry for therapy, that person is usually a pretty good fit. So I've developed quite a nice kind of trusting relationship with with getting new clients because it it feels that the people that I've worked with who found me through Instagram are usually just my my kind of people. And they've normally spent quite a long time watching me being in my community, seeing how I do things. And the relationship tends to build much quicker because they already know me a bit. And there's this kind of that initial thing. I'm not saying it's completely done, but there is just an alignment that I really value. And actually I feel much safer within. I remember at the beginning, particularly, I used to be quite nervous about like, who's going to come through the door? Like who who am I meeting? Like, what's this going to be like? So there's definitely an element of it kind of just gives you a leg up on the whole therapeutic relationship, doesn't it? Mm. You know, they've already you don't know them. That's that's the other side of it. You don't actually they know you, you don't know them. But yeah. they've got they've got a sense of you, they've got an idea of who you are, and they've just decided that, yeah, I feel comfortable sitting and telling her my story. And Yeah, and and I think I can feel more comfortable within that because I have a sense that they sort of they feel comfortable with me. I know it's different when you're one-to-one with someone, obviously, but there is an element of like, oh, they've seen quite a bit of me and they're comfortable. So I I like that. The flip side of it is that there can be quite a bit of idealization because particularly with an Instagram presence and all of that, it can be a bit like, oh, I'm the expert. And I think that is the bit for me that I don't like about being the people-pleasing therapist. And it's never sat comfortably with me fully, but it felt like a good, I guess it was a marketing decision. I still toy people listening back to this in the future might not find me as the people pleasing therapist anymore. I often wonder about just going to my name, but that that's, I guess a slightly different conversation, but the, the, the thing that I don't love about niching in such a specific way is this risk of seeing being like an expert. I don't want that. That's not, I don't claim to sometimes therapists will say to me like, how would, how do you work with people pleasing? I'm like, probably in the same way as you do. I don't have any like magic formula or like steps that I follow it's just a way for people to feel like I understand them yeah yeah I, I, you, I mean you're absolutely right I don't think having a niche is about you saying I'm an expert in this and I know you know I know absolutely how to deal with this full stop but I think it's about saying right this is something I understand and this is something I'm interested in mm-hmm. and if you're struggling with that then I will use all the information all the all the training and all of the knowledge and experience I have from everything I've done as a, as a therapist to enable me to help you. It's no yeah. different to seeing anybody else. You know, you just, you draw on all of the information and knowledge and everything that you have to help the person that's sitting in front of you. And whether they're, if they're reaching out to you because of their people-pleasing tendencies, that's just an aspect of them. They're still a fully rounded human being with a past and a present and a you know, the stories that they have that have got them got them there, I don't think it really means that we deal with them any differently in the counselling room. No, it doesn't. And actually, uh, from a therapy perspective in terms of getting clients, because I kind of see therapy clients and clients who come on my course and things a bit differently, 
But from the perspective of, of therapy clients, oftentimes the work doesn't ever actually isn't even about people pleasing. It's literally just that somebody has seen that I'm speaking to something that they experience mm. and that's it. And I think if a few times recently I've had friends want to start therapy and have asked me, you know, for support, I think most, thera most therapists have that experience of someone saying, oh, can you help me find a therapist? And I look down the directories and oftentimes just like, gosh, how would you even choose? Like pictures, I think is something that people often go on because that is something that clearly differentiates people. But going back to that thing of like, is a niche restrictive? On some level, I guess it kind of is. But on another level, you, the people that do resonate with what you're sharing are going to be so much more inclined to get in touch with you because you are speaking to something that they re they feel seen. Feel like, oh, that person gets what I'm experiencing. And I and think the follow through from there is usually much greater. Like I think people, inquiries become clients, become people you work with. For me anyway, a little bit more, I think the turn the the conversion rate, I hate that word, that phrase, <laughs> I but it's because that initial contact is, I guess, a bit more uh, potent or a little bit yeah. more explored. Yeah. Because I've always, always, always sorry, I can't speak, because I've already <laughs> had an experience of who you are mm. and just resonate with that. So it's powerful and stuff, isn't it? It is. And there's, there's validation in that. I think if someone's naming, if, if I see a therapist naming my experience and going, I get this, I understand this. I'm interested in this. There's a something like, oh, maybe it's not just me. Maybe it's okay. I guess there's permission in there. Um, we could talk about it for a long time. I think there's, I, I am a big advocate of finding a way to niche that's not just about specializing. Yes. I think maybe yeah. that's the difference. It's less about specializing and more about just having an interest and exactly. speaking to something. Yeah. Yeah. We have something called a seedling niche and that's basically, you know, quite a bit of broad niche. So self-esteem is one of the seedling niches and it's enormous. It's And obviously people pleasing comes under that, but it covers like so many things. So it's not restrictive at all. It's not going to make people go, oh, that's not the person for me. It's going to be very, very, it's very open, but it just helps people to just narrow it down a little bit so that instead yeah. of the I mean, I did that the other day. I looked on counselling directory and it was like, if I was choosing a counsellor, I have no idea where I'd go with this because everybody just looked the same. Mm. Yeah. And it's not a criticism. Like I don't, I don't have that uh, sort of judgment from a place of criticism. It's more from a place of, I guess, realising that as we don't train to be market, like we're not, yeah. we don't, we train to help people, hopefully to earn a living. And the rest of it is not, you know, it wasn't, there was nothing in, in my training to my knowledge or my memory of about like, how am I going to find people? How will people find me? Like, how am I going to make this into something that's lucrative for me and allows me to live the life that I want to live? Like all the money I've, I've invested in my training, like how there was none of that. And it, it's because it's a, it's a big topic, isn't it? Like it's a huge, it's a whole training in itself. You know, it's exactly what you do, isn't it? You help therapists to learn how to run businesses and to market themselves because it's something that it doesn't come naturally to most of us unless we happen to have had a history, you know, previous work that's that's been relevant. Absolutely. It's, it's not something you just know. And, you know, people can sometimes think, oh, crikey, well, I'm rubbish at this. I don't know what to do. Well, why would you know what to do? It's a mm. skill. It's just, it's just a learnable skill. It's just a case of learning a few different skills. But so you've talked about the fact that, you know, there's a chance that you might change your niche. So I think that's something as well that maybe people don't always realise that a niche isn't written in concrete. You can change at any time, really. 
yeah, that we can give ourselves permission to evolve. Because <laughs> I think that's another thing that I, I think I'm continually in all areas of my life really reflecting on is that I can get quite fixated on finding the answer to something. I, I have always found it really hard to know what to eat for breakfast. <laughs> really? <laughs> And I will find something that I like and then I'll eat that like every day for a month. And I'm like, that's really done with that. Because something in me likes finding a solution and then just following that solution forever and thinking, well, for the rest of my life, I'm going to be eating this granola every day. And I think it's a bit similar. It's like quite exciting to think that different chapters of our lives, our careers can be reflected in different ways that we choose to present our work. I think I will probably always reside in the kind of teaching people how to prioritize themselves. Yeah. But that's the language I'm starting to use, not teaching people how to stop people pleasing. It's like I'm kind of moving into just finding other ways to describe it. And I just don't know how I feel about being seen as the people pleasing therapist as if I am the one. Um, but yeah, it, it's something to just sit with and let be there and create space to change and to nap to narrate that change as well I think that something I've learned I, I write a newsletter every couple of weeks and it's increasingly becoming more personal not not about my personal life but about my own exploration of these themes and you know whenever I've made changes like a couple of times I've had workshops planned that I've then changed the date for or I've changed the format of because it's not aligned with where I'm at at the time it is actually happening I always get a really lovely response from people. They're like, oh, thank you for showing me you're human. You know, change is normal. <laughs> we, it's a natural part of, of life. And again, like, I think we do just get ourselves a little bit honed in on things having to always stay the same. Or if I've committed to being, you know, a therapist within the self-esteem world, I can't possibly go over here and start working with people who, you know, experience trauma. And it's like, well, actually, you probably are doing that work already. And it's just about how we talk about it. And, and I, if I think about niching, I think that's what I think of it as. It's like, how am I going to talk to people about the work that I do so that they understand and they can work out if it's if it's right for them? Yeah. I think I think for me, niching isn't about a straitjacket saying that you've got to be a certain way or a certain thing. I think it's just kind of a, a vehicle from which you can, I don't know, be creative, mm. sort of expand and be curious and see where it goes. So you might start. So if I think about my seedling niches, if you start with the seedling niche of working with anxiety, that could go down lots and not lots and lots of different routes. But if you just start off with, with a niche, then it just gives somebody something to connect with or resonate with. Mm. So like you were saying, they'll, they'll resonate with you and choose you. So it's just a sort of step up, I think, for the business. Yeah, it is. And it, I think it is. Ultimately, it's a business decision, isn't it? Like yes. it, it's, it's from the perspective of wanting to create something that's sustainable, that works, that pays you well, that fulfills you and that serves people. And it's almost like it, when I give myself a niche, I then I just like limit down some of the options, which feels really reassuring Yeah, when there's like all of this broad spectrum of what I could be doing. Yeah going too far with it you know it's not like saying right I'm never going to work with somebody who doesn't resonate with the people pleasing pattern in this exact way it's more like saying I'm going to work with people who resonate with the idea of feeling finding it hard to put themselves first I mean mm -hmm. the amount of people from different demographics age groups whatever that that resonate with that is going to be huge I've seen that it is huge there isn't really a specific type of person that I work with it is usually women um, but I think Instagram is partly to play in that as well. You know, it's not, it's not like saying, right, I'm only going to work with people who are 20, female, 
and live in London. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's demographic, not a niche, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, but... I think we can get like a bit confused about yes. what it actually means. It's not like being super prescriptive. I think I always thought it was yeah. originally. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your plans for the future? What's next for you? I mean, because you don't just do counselling now. You're not just doing therapy. You, you do, well, you were doing workshops and things, weren't you? Are you saying that you now do them more as courses? Yeah. So at the moment I am, what is happening as of now? So I see, I spend about half my week seeing clients. I see about 10, 12 clients a week now, and I was sort of doing about 20. So that's kind of come right down. And I run a course, a group course, which was called the Boundaries course, but it's just been renamed. It's now called Prioritise You. Um, and that's a four-week course. It's kind of a combo of pre-recorded audio teachings and then Zoom group sessions and a Facebook group and things like that. So that's that's going to be something I'm doing more often now. Now that I've got to the point where my client work is not taking up as much of my time, so I can actually dedicate some time to other stuff. And I've just started doing, the first one was yesterday at the time we were recording this, uh, kind of a free self-care session. So the idea is that my email community come together once every two weeks to do some self-care alongside each other. So we have an hour where we take some time for ourselves, basically, in a structured way. So that's really lovely. So I think really what's ahead of me is just building more community and helping people to feel part of something as opposed to on their own with this, because I think it can feel very much like we're the only ones. Yes. Yeah. And I think that applies across the board, doesn't it, with anything that we're facing. Yeah. Um, but really it's just to continue and to continue to find ways to do this that I enjoy. I think it's that, is that I was doing the workshops at one point that I realised actually I don't sort of love it so much now. So that's kind of changing and yeah, trying to evolve things in a way that works for me. Yeah. Because that is what I'm asking other people to explore is how to do things that work for them. So if I can't do that, then I'm not sitting in a very comfortable place, I think. But yeah. I think it's just fantastic that as a self-employed person, you do have the option to let yourself be creative, to try all these different things. And I just love that. It just gives me such a buzz that I can just think, oh, I'll give that a go. I know it's not for everybody. And I know that, you know, if you're a counsellor and you just want to do counselling, then obviously that's absolutely fine. But there are many counsellors with a lot of skills that could be used to do something else as well. So yeah. I, I think it's fantastic. It feels exciting. And I yes. think it it opens up other possibilities, doesn't it? If, if we want them. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I share your excitement for it too. Well, I'm going to really look forward to see see where you go over the next five or ten years. I shall watch you, keep an eye on you. Thank <laughs> you. Not that that's at all sinister. Thank you so much for coming. I'm sure that my listeners have really enjoyed it. Now, just before we just before we go, what's the, if if they want to come and connect with you? Obviously, it's, is Instagram the best place? Yes. Yeah, the people pleasing therapist. There's no, a few just... underscores in there, but if you type in Elsie Owen, Elsie Owen. Excellent. Lovely. And I'll put a link to that around and about. And I'll put a link to your website and any other links that I can sort of think of to put there for you. Thank you. Elsie, thank you so much for coming. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Oh, my pleasure too. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> All right. You take care. <laughs> you too. See, I told you she was amazing. And I hope that this has maybe helped to answer some questions that you have around niching as well and diversifying. So 
Yeah. So go off now and say hi to Elsie. Now, the best place to find her is on Instagram. So it's at the people pleasing therapist. Well, it's actually at the underscore people pleasing underscore therapist. Or you can just search Elsie Owen and that's going to bring her up as well. And tell her that you heard about her here on the Grow Your Private Practice show. And if you're ready to decide on your niche or to really learn how you can use it to grow your practice, then, you know, I can help you with that. Come and join the Grow Your Private Practice membership and take the next steps towards growing a private practice that you can be proud of too. Have a little look for growyourprivatepractice.co.uk or drop me a line and ask me any questions that you've got. Okay, so that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you have a fantastic week. And I look forward to seeing you again next time. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this, then please subscribe to the show. And while you're there, I'd love it if you could leave me a big, shiny five-star review. Bye.